As you know if you watched the show, this week's episode will be talking about the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Much of our focus goes toward family relationships in the story. We don't include a media break, and if you're white like us, we recommend you spend some time looking into how many places this happened and how many families lost not just established wealth, but houses, stability, knowledge, connection, and of course, family members. There is a technical issue in this episode. My co-host was using a very old microphone, which began to give out part of the way into the episode. So I did my best to salvage it through the editing process, and I hope it won't be too distracting. Next week should sound a lot better. Hey, Ruth. Hey, Rachel. Do you want to take a ride in this multiverse machine? I'd be down to go anywhere except now. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. Yeah, I don't know about taking a trip into my family's horrible past. That seems like it is a tall order. And people keep asking Montrose to do things, which is a bad plan. Yeah, I felt like for all that this episode was very much about saving Dee and we really got to admire Hippolyta, this episode was a real deep dive into Montrose's trauma. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, just asking him to come to Tulsa was so much. But who else is on the team, right? Yeah, it's a small team. And we learned also that Ruby is not on the team. Not really, no. <laughs> She's on a different team, a troubling team. But I love the way that they continue to show Matros's PTSD in like similar ways with kind of overlapping audio cues and then the drinking of course and then we had a little bit of fuzzy vision and camera skew as well he's you know having a panic attack this entire time just holding on to what he needs to do and we also get to find out his core motivation yeah asking someone to relive what was literally the worst day of their lives and not be able to change or fix it I understand that Tick is carrying his own trauma and his own wartime expectations and such, but it seems like bringing that in, you'd have to come from a super compassionate place. And Tick is really, has been struggling, but trying, I feel like, to allow Montrose some room for redemption, which, you know, is a completely generous offer. And he came to his end of that, he he was like, After this, we are done, and I don't need you being my father anymore, was the line that they got to when Montrose was really into his shit. So we got all all the way to a point where Tick was feeling what Sammy was feeling when he was ready to get up and walk out and say, I don't need your shit anymore, which is apparently what Montrose needs to really get it together. I mean, when I heard that line, I knew that this episode was going to... And I had already anticipated it would teach Tick things about his father that he didn't know and give him some sort of fuller understanding. Even though I knew kind of all the factors that might go into it, I did not realize how deeply gut-wrenching it would be, but also how beautiful in that Tick gets to be his father's own hero. Yeah. 
and this episode made me cry in a lot of ways, but that bit really, it was the one bright spot in this whole episode, other than when Hippolyta showed up and, and her actions to save her daughter. She just appeared. <laughs> she just walked in. Like- I had to rewind it, but there was absolutely no mention of what had happened. She was just there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I said would happen. She just appeared back in Chicago. Kind of starting with the plot of the show, the beginning introduction part is about what they need to do to help Dee. Mm-hmm. One of my notes was gross magic. There was more view of the gross magic that our policeman did on Dee. And you see that the curse is actually turning her into horrible caricature. Right. It's just, oof. when her hair went back to normal, it was such a relief. It was like a normal child and not a demon. And we also learned about the policeman. Why did his nipples explode? That's that's just my big question that I'm going to lay on the line here. Why <laughs> did his nipples explode? They didn't have to explode. I don't understand. I just, I, I wasn't expecting it. Did you rate that as funny or just gross or gross and funny? Just gross, honestly. Yeah. Just gross. And we did learn from his compadres that they were indeed abducting black men to use as his body, which just, again, speaks to the kind of disgusting fetishization of a black body and like, just, oh God, it's just. It was really nice that this section, though, wrapped up that thread. Like there were reasons why getting Ruby into the police captain's office and mm-hmm. obviously Christina's trying to undermine him and everything, but. Right. We were able to wrap up that bit on why did Christina need the magical stone put in the drawer? And the answer is apparently it was to stop him from coming back from the dead again. William's showing up to pick up that stone and being like, ah, yes. And I love that the underlings were like, you're supposed to be dead. And then the police captain is like begging Christina. Right. Oh, so good. There were just levels in that scene. It was so gross. (laughs) I just, yeah. oh, I did not like and it. And also the way that she went to take care of that. But she was like, I have something I've got to go do. And it was, you know, kill a man. And then she'll be right back to save your daughter. This I got to go over and stare at him menacingly while he dies. And say like, I'm sorry, you can only die once. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That was, that was cold and that was beautiful. Uh, it was good. A little bit of levity before everything went to hell. Also in the beginning part, they realize that everyone has used their leverage with Christina, except Ruby, who has an unlimited supply of leverage with Christina. Well, assuming that she keeps up her into the relationship. Right. Letty gave her quite a look. Montrose reveals that he might not be Tick's father. And Tick turns to the side and says, shit, like, like he's done so many times as family secrets are revealed to him. This is so many family secrets. I was thinking that last week when he asked Montrose, is there anything else you're not telling me? You know, (laughs) as a joke about dyslexia. And I thought, oh, buddy, there's at least one more in the pipeline. This whole episode, it shows you the kind of damage that can never be repaired Mm -hmm. in this wholesale destruction of, of a thriving community. But the family trauma is added onto that with the, the beating and the drunkenness. 
And that's something that, you know, you can start healing, but I think it takes a little bit of opening a wound to clean it, to get it to heal. Mm -hmm. And I think we did see a little bit of that. I think it was very empowering for Tick to realize that he was the hero. I think they both had that realization at the same moment. He's the guy that he's heard about his whole life. Yeah. Do you want to just mention this other thread with Ruby? I think was at the end. It was an important note. Oh, when she took ownership of her situation with Dell and decided to turn her off, as it were? (laughs) Turn her off. Yeah. So she has two kind of discussions with Christina. And the fact that she's having this discussion with Christina, and it's like a relationship discussion. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, just be straight with me. Are you planning on killing Tick? And Christina's like, well, you know, he might die. <laughs> yeah, Christina made so many eyes in that scene where she's like, well, I need his blood and I need all of it. And her eyes are just like moving everywhere. <laughs> she's like, you know, when people have their blood removed, they die. So it's not like I'm trying to kill him, but I just need his blood and it's nothing personal. And Ruby is like, Promise me you won't hurt my sister. (laughs) Oh, Lord. She does not care a tick about tick. She is totally fine sacrificing him for what she thinks that she'll get out of this relationship with Christina. Mm -hmm. And then that further step of buying and and just uh, killing a woman who is mostly dead. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really just not keeping her on ice anymore. And like, I would like a different white woman to be, which... Yeah, that really threw me. I was not ready. I didn't think that she was that in, but she's more in than we thought. So, I mean, it almost sets her up to be a villain. Assuming that everything in the world hangs together enough for there to be a season two, I wouldn't mind seeing Christina as an ongoing villain. If so, though, I also need Ruby to survive the next episode. Like, I am going to be super mad if they do anything to her. Because, again, she's an interesting and complex character. Because shows are way too likely to kill off Black women. Although I think with this show, we have a much better... They still did the unfortunate thing where they bring in a trans person and then kill them off in the same episode. But big picture, I think that she's got a better chance of living. I would like to see her as a complex antagonist, as somebody who's caught up in all of this and has even more justification to be doing so than Christina, but is still doing harm. Like, I think there's some real potential there, and I would love to see that going forward. My question about the kind of last episode of the season is, how much do you expect to be wrapped up? I don't know. It's only going to be 55 minutes or an hour. I checked. Yeah. Even with the preview last week, I don't know how they'll get through that in two hours. Even with like the kind of action-packed pace of the first two episodes, mm-hmm. I like I don't know how you would manage to bring a conclusion because all we know that's happening is this equinox ceremony in Artem. They got to get there. There's the ceremony, but then there's a, a bunch of other threads that I mean I think some of them you have to leave them unknown. I mean, mm-hmm. we still don't know what happened to that asshole tree. <laughs> it's true. Is tree in Philly? Has he gone to Baltimore? Has, has he found enlightenment on Earth 5072, perhaps? Um, <laughs> I read a tweet by Rodimus Prime who said, Christina never lies. She just doesn't care. 
it makes her very interesting because she's got her own agenda and is completely separate from everyone else's. And she's just playing an entirely different game. She had that whole speech about how everything had been meticulously planned out and all this other stuff. Like, whoa. But she said the things that were unplanned were timing and now you. That was almost sweet and romantic and also like terrifying. Oh, so bad. This is like a rotten girl moment. Okay, well, let's start with this time travel journey. And uh, step one is getting to the time machine. Which is apparently no big deal. Like, take some time, but... No big deal. They got they got Woody. Um, but Hippolyta, she's got a plan. They don't know that she's spent 200 years becoming a better person. They have no idea. They just think she's the same. It's amazing. So they head over to nowhere, Kansas. Then she fixes the machine in a couple of hours. No big deal. Mm-hmm. And then they have the moment where she's like, we need a better computer we need a motherboard oh yeah and they're like what the hell is that because this is the 50s and she's like it's me which like levels right mother right so they go to tulsa my first reaction when she was sending them back in time was to ask but why did they have to go back (laughs) to the massacre like okay we know it was lost during the massacre we know that the house burned down reasons because if you take it earlier, it creates a continuity issue. Yeah, of course, that's the thing, right? So, yeah, it has to go when it goes, and it has to go in such a way that it, people don't react to it in any way that significantly changes the future. You know, Letty has one interaction when taking it, but that doesn't end or change things, and Tick actually has to be there, so it's good that he is. As happens in time travel, all the paradoxes resolve themselves. Mm-hmm. That's how time travel actually works it's a really heavy ask to go back in time to a moment of your own personal trauma to a moment of your familial and connection trauma to a moment where you're encountering everything that you've lost and in that moment too you cannot change anything except that you got to steal the book right it's just such a high ask emotionally of all the characters but they're in this hotel it's clearly a hotel that serves a black clientele And so you've got like girls who are there getting ready for their prom and have rented a hotel room, which is just really sweet. That's where we get the time cue that they know is what is the first night of several nights of destruction, but it's not night yet. So it hasn't really Mm -hmm. started. And so they've got to get over to the neighborhood and they are hiding in a uh, stable across the way and Well, first they steal some really fine clothes. Oh, yeah. Well, they got to fit in, so they got to get some 20s duds on. And I have to say... They all look lovely. I I really like that style of Tick's coat. So one thing I thought with, you know, Montrose leading them to that stable was I wonder if some of the routes that they're taking as they kind of duck between homes and such, you know, Montrose knows Tulsa as this teenage boy. Oh, there's no knowing a town like knowing it from a kid and a teenager. He took them on a shortcut through the white side of town, didn't he? It sounded like he was going to. We didn't actually see them do that, but yeah. Then they're hiding out in the stable, and you kind of get a little sense maybe also that, you know, Montrose has been doing a little bit of hiding out in that stable in his life. Yeah, and then we get to witness the actual incident of... His father drunkenly beating him in the yard, which the level of 
just uncaringness that that implies. Mm-hmm. And Dora standing up for him and telling off George not for standing up for him. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see why the three... A dynamic, yeah. She genuinely cares about him. Right, you see what that bond was. Yeah, because we have no idea about their otherwise their relationship with each other and we don't know why she ended up with him and not george but maybe it was because they knew each other and i think it's a question of they needed each other the most Mm -hmm. because she's lost her entire family and montrose has to give up so much in his life to be what he he does want to be but Mm -hmm. it's a lot of sacrifice to be that so i i think there's a sort of parody there that she doesn't have with George. Yeah, that makes sense. But I can also see how they might she might end up sleeping with both of them for some period for reasons. Possibly also because Montrose isn't into that it. That would be upsetting. So young Montrose runs off. Old Montrose runs off. Sick and Letty mm-hmm. have to have a confab and realize <laughs> there's not so much time left and they've got to split up. Letitia fucking Lewis hotwires a car. How I don't know, how do you learn to hotwire an old-timey car? I mean, I think it would be easier than a car now, but you still have to know what to do. So Tick goes to find Montrose, who is stealing <laughs> booze from a car. So yeah, he's on a time travel mission to save the future. And what he needs is a bottle of malt liquor to get through it. Frankly, makes sense to me. Does Tick find Montrose in that alley? Is that the first place he finds mm-hmm. him? When he's looking out of the alley... At his younger self, who is having a fight with his little boyfriend. (sighs) Yeah, he's breaking up with him because he can't get what he wants out of life, he thinks. Well, he's breaking up with him because his dad beat him so bad, really. And because he's afraid. And because he wants a certain future for himself that he doesn't... That he doesn't think he can have. And God, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's super heartbreaking. And um, his his little boyfriend calls him a coward. I'm glad that they included that because that's the truth in a way. But it's also, you know, I like it in an argument where everyone is right. That's what I like. I felt like this episode had some aspects of things that weren't resolved or reconciled when everything went down, which is, of course, what happens in the middle of a tragedy. You have that thing that you never made up to the person that you said. Although when the pack of white boys with the gun shows up, they do grab hands. Yeah. Well, and at first they think Montrose is going to warn George about the far future. Mm -hmm. But what Montrose wants to do is save this boy from getting killed, which is, can you imagine breaking up with somebody that you clearly care about? And then, um, then like five seconds later, they are murdered. I no, I just can't. You know, as a white person in America, this is not a thing that I have had to imagine living through or had my family live through. And so I can't imagine any of this in some ways. And I really can't imagine breaking up with somebody and having them murdered as part of such an overall violent thing right, right. afterward, too. And so Tick finds our mantras and starts to lecture him about, you know, not being able to, to change the future. And he's like, I don't want to, you know tell myself what's going to happen. I just want to save Thomas, whose name I have not been able to speak since that day because it can't have been real. Mm-hmm. Tick gives him this whole speech about how if 
everything doesn't happen exactly as it's supposed to, he won't be here and he needs, you know, he needs his father, he needs everything to happen. And then Montrose gives him a speech. Yeah, he tells him how much he gave up to be his father and how much he wanted to be his father, but how much he had to give up and how this was only one of the many things that he had to give up to be Tick's father, which I think I think it's good for Tick to know, you know, he he knows and Montrose knows that Montrose was in many ways not a good father. Mm -hmm. But I think also knowing that you were wanted, knowing that you were deeply and desperately wanted. There's something beautiful about that in a messy way. Yeah, everything is messy. (laughs) But but I think there's something too to be said, especially gay man at that time. Mm -hmm. That, you know, children are obviously not an option unless you got into some kind of widower situation. So if he wanted to be a father, he he couldn't. Even knowing, you know, two stories, you know, his own story of being beat by his father. And then he had this other story of the pastor who was arrested and lobotomized. Yes. So he doesn't want any of that. But even if that was possible, he has to give up something that he also wants which is to have a family to have a family and do it right is i think a desire that a lot of people that come from an abusive upbringing have a strong desire to do but then can have also a high chance of failing at mm-hmm. their try to do it better which is why it's called generational trauma yeah so then this this episode is tick witnessing different points of the worst day of his father's life he's already witnessed the beating He witnesses how it affects him and how it makes him decide that he has to break up with his boyfriend. Then he witnesses the violence of what happens to his father, his mother, and his uncle, Mm -hmm. as well as to Thomas. And he has to watch them go through that before he realizes that he is also the person meant to come in and stop it and save them, but... It's yeah. like these three important scenes in Montrose's life that are going to give Tick a key toward being more compassionate, even if he also has suffered from what Montrose has done. Yeah, they're standing there waiting for that guy to come, and then oh. <laughs> they look down at the baseball bat. He learns that he is the hero of his father's childhood and the man that he's heard about his whole life. Which is incredibly moving, but also kind of a throwback to the Hippolyta episode, yeah? Mm-hmm. Where her dream is her, her most enlightened self is her child's dream. Yeah. I said there was going to be some family shit in this whole series, and I think uh, there is. But the writers, you know, for the few places where I've gotten kind of upset at the writing, I think that the writers have done some really wonderful... You could say tapestry weaving, really, of threads and plot lines. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, the the level of the craft in this is just, you know, beyond. From the visual cues to other Black history, to previous Black art, the use of the spoken word pieces and other musical cues, um, everything is just like at such a high level and the way that they weave these story motifs also coming kind of back around and around is it's just it's a piece of art that you could look at a lot and not get to see all of so after tick has saved george 
and Montrose and Dora. That's their cue to exit because they're safe. He knows their story from here on. They're going to get away. Montrose hasn't changed something that's going to alter the future. And so now they got to get back to the hotel because things are getting really rough. Also, the portal has just been open this whole time. Like this, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, that's a long time to hold a dimensional portal open with the force of your will. I would understand, you know, I don't know, saying like you can close it and reopen it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll pick you up at nine. I'll pick you up at midnight. Yeah. But, you know, it could have been anything from like walking in and be like, Granny, can I have that book? Um, Mm -hmm. To to who knows what. So Letty's story is it starts with some stand your ground. Letty doesn't know yet how to get into the houses, but she doesn't have to figure it out because stuff gets dangerous so Stuff fast. gets real and she runs full speed. Just I I want to know how fast Jerry Smollett can run. I want to <laughs> see her numbers because she looks like she can run really fast. She is booking it. Helped by her shoes. It's good that she's not wearing like heels or something. Yeah. Her trouble shoes. And the grandfather's here. Yeah, both on their porches. The white folks are making trouble at the end of the street and they're coming into the neighborhood. And so she she gets into the house. <laughs> Montrose's father is like, come into the house. And she's like, no, let me go next door. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> crafty, like a very nice note. So she's got entry into the house, but shit's starting to get really real, real fast. So they're assessing the threat and there's passing out of guns. You know, they think that they should leave, but they're worried about the kids. And so the kids have to be found first. You just see Letty reacting like someone had punched her in the gut because... She knows what's going to happen. Yeah, she and she knows the kids make it. She she could tell them, look, the kids will be okay. Yeah. I can't tell you how I know this. Everybody get out. Let's take the book. Uh, that would really fuck up the future timeline, though, because then Dora wouldn't lose her family and everything else. To compound that, Letty has this discussion with her sister, who comes up to her as like a auntie figure and is like, everything's going to be okay. Right. Cause I was just having a fight and I can't bear that. The last thing I say to my sister is going to be words and anger. And Letty just takes a deep breath and looks at her and it's like, everything will be fine. Knowing that that is absolutely not the case. And knowing that because Dora is not alive in this future, Dora has already died. There's no way that she can get that to her, you know, like, I'm sure, mm-hmm. I hope that Dora understood, you know, she became an adult, right? Like, we all look back on stupid fights and stuff. Mm. Yeah. So as soon as she's in there, and they're trying to figure out if she's from there, if she has a family, and she's like, no, I'm gonna stay here, and she gets a gun. And they kind of like pan around at everyone who's there, and Granny gives her a look up and down. And down, she noticed her sneakers. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can tell that Granny has clocked that something is really amiss here. Like, yes, there's obviously crisis, but this is weird, too. And that she's the one, you know, that's got the knowledge that she knows mm-hmm. that not everything in the world is as it seems. Yes. And has maybe not passed this on quite yet. Because she's also a God-fearing woman, which mm-hmm. I found quite interesting. I think it makes sense that she's not necessarily doing magic, that she's just preserving this because they've been told it's for the family. So as things continue to get real, eventually Letty sees her chance to go in searching for the item, and Granny is having none of that. 
she comes in the room. She's like, I gotta find this book. And she's just like rifling through a room. <laughs> and Granny comes in there and she's like, What are you doing in here? And Letty's like, I, um, well, I was trying to get a good shot. And the grandmother's like, You know how it has a good shot is me at you right now. What are you doing? <laughs> so Letty pleads her case. Granny buys it. Yeah, it takes a go, but. So, like, there's, like, specific knowledge, and she sees, you know, the evidence of the future, and, and you wouldn't know about this stuff if you didn't know about it, right? Mm-hmm. And the motherhood, oh my goodness, a good case. Yeah. And then we get this amazing speech, amazing speech from Granny. Yeah, and by this point, I'm just, like, you know, oh. just full out crying. It's just, as the flames are building, she's like, I don't know you. So this is a supreme act of faith. And you being here tells me that I'm going to die. And I'm ready for that. And I am going to have faith in you. And then, oh gosh, I wish I had the words. When my great-great-grandson is born, he will be my faith made flesh. Oh, it's just giving me chills just repeating it. Like, that is some shit. Since Letty is invulnerable, and this woman is facing her death she decides to stay with her yeah as she is burned alive and you know at first she said like i have to do everything that i can to save my family for letty had convinced her that this was the thing to do so she's not it takes her a minute to accept this her argument is that the thing that you can do to save your family is give me this book right so once she's realized that then she invites Letty to pray with her, which is just... It was good that it lasted as long as it did. And then as we conclude the Tulsa story, because she's also got to get back to the hotel to get through the portal. And there was a lot of comment on Twitter from about, you know, she can run real fast, but uh, she's taking it real slow. I mean, she's faced her own death and several other deaths and now this one that she just looked straight in the face yeah and is now you know supremely bought into this family if she wasn't already which she was so she's having to deal with that and and get back so she's taking a slow walk through the bombing of of this town just bombs exploding in front of her and her walking through the fire I don't think that she could. I think that she's just like a little catatonic. Like once Letty's got the book, she doesn't have, there's also that, you know, adrenaline that gets you to where you need to be to do the thing that, that you know you need to do. Yeah. And then once it's done, you're just utterly drained. I mean, they've got the 24 hour deadline, but it's mm -hmm. not the same. The getting the book is the most urgent part. So this is like the, I don't know, maybe sometimes there's a boss after the big boss. Well, and I think she didn't know that Hippolyta was struggling. You know, if she'd known right. that like Hippolyta was barely keeping the portal open and that yeah. she and her baby might have been trapped in 1921 Tulsa on only the first day, I think she would have been running like crazy. Right, right. But she didn't know she had to be. And she's so worn out that she doesn't. And, oh, there was that moment near the end where he's waiting for her. And so Tick has gone through and is trying to get Hippolyta to keep the portal open which is just so much strain on her and you know as some people pointed out she went through these years of enlightenment of power and of beauty and everything but when she comes back she's still made to put her body on the line for things which is a lot but it is for her daughter 
which is the only thing worth asking her to put her body on the line for is her daughter. And then Montrose is having that moment where he might be trapped. So you see this conclusion, which is really more of a, a conclusion on the story that they've told about Tulsa by showing what has been going on. And he does um, a memory from his perspective of and what mm-hmm. happened to them. And stories he heard probably and little things and big things. And he's standing there reciting it because he's the keeper. He's the keeper of those stories. You know, everybody who made it out, mm-hmm. they're the keeper of those stories and of that legacy that does get not just lost, but forcibly abandoned. You know, that's something that I didn't learn about until I was older. Which was the goal, right? It's the same mm-hmm. as as with like Indian removal, right? The goal is not only to like move folks out of your way, but to completely erase everything that they have done. I mean, he talks about, you know, like a surgeon practice. So like, we're talking about the folks who are the best of the best, the best in the West. Mm -hmm. Um, Just destroyed what had taken generations to accumulate, how you see that there's nothing yeah. that we could do to pay that back, that kind of. Yeah, it's, it's destroying, I mean, it's destroying generational wealth, but also generational memory and achievement. It's erasing everything and telling people that they can't achieve things. And that it never happened. They, you know, they're trying to yeah. say that that community never happened. And then people like Montrose and George are thrown out into the world and told, here are all the barriers that we have had in place and that we will continue to have in place to make sure that you don't do this again. Where do this is achieve the thing that we said your people were not able to achieve, which is just, it's brutalizing. Well, I was just going to say, when Montrose is having that scene at the, at the window where he's on the lookout for Letty, but he's also watching his community be destroyed again, um, did you feel like there was healing happening at all? So earlier you had said something about reopening a wound to clean it out. And I think he was getting to mourn it from a different perspective, not from a perspective where he's afraid for his own survival and not a perspective where he's experiencing so much present danger even even as he is of course experiencing danger in this moment where he might get stranded there and he is afraid for his survival he's got that it's like a secondary phase of processing something where you're able to return to it you get this sense that he hasn't been able to talk about it at all in his entire life montrose as i said several times is put through so much trauma in just this episode alone but he is also able to do something that he's never been able to do before which is tell his son one how much he loves him and how much he sacrificed to have him as a son and two about this teenage boy that he was and about who he loved and about how he lost him and not even have to tell him so much as to to have his son understand and experience it so that his son goes from someone who's being brought up in an American culture that's deeply homophobic to thinking, this is my dad who loved this guy and I, I want good things for him. I want him to be happy. 
I feel like maybe mantras is getting seen in some ways for the first time or seen in a way that doesn't lead people to attack him further. Because, you know, being seen by his dad is part of what what led his dad to beat him in the first place. But here he's seen by his son and he knows his son loves him. And now he knows his son sees him. So maybe that's part of the healing. I felt like there was a a remembering in a way that was healing that was happening. And then you had this great bit with the with the poem and then the aria. Because we had this we had the spoken word poem first, which was a little bit of a beat style, you know, like a like a slam style, but you know, early pure slam. Um, yeah, and so that was written by a poet laureate from Philly, actually, so not far from me. And then the the person doing the score on this said that she's just been given a really good chance to give musical life to this show. So she was trying to figure out something powerful enough to reflect that and went with opera, which meant everybody was recording in their own homes, which I just, I can't even imagine. Yeah, because the scores are done like almost at the end of post- People have been pulling together amazing music by doing that in the pandemic. It's just still wild to me. Opera singers know how to render emotion, which I think was needed for this scene. You know, they've done a lot of really good stuff with mixing in music from, I was going to say the future, but, you know, the present and even times between the 50s and now. There's just nothing like opera for capturing that super full thing. We had opera in that episode with yeah with Montrose the style of this was very much contemporary to the time setting it wasn't cutesy or anything Mm -hmm. it was just like here's a poem sing it you know the the approach to it wasn't trying to do anything fancy with it other than be opera but Mm -hmm. yeah it took the poem and made use it with that feeling and the the view again of what was happening in a sort of slowness I felt like it was needed because you saw all these bits and pieces throughout the episode because, you know, the massacre is kind of, it's coming on and it's happening kind of in the background to the plot. So Mm -hmm. to kind of sit down and say, you know, here's all what we showed you of this community and what is starting to happen to it. And you know, you know, what happens to it in the end. So to -hmm. take some time to sit with that was really appreciated i have been thinking about this since episode two when they talked about where they were growing up and i was just tentatively starting to ask wait do you think that they would have lived there during the massacre and just to bring it full circle around to this point yeah you can't rush in grab something and rush out you you have to deal with it with slowness and again i don't have any place to determine how it should be written we saw that life taking white violence against emmett and against d and this is that writ at scale because it has happened at scale many places thinking of rosewood florida which was destroyed in 1923 in the rosewood massacre we talked about East St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's just a few. Right. And like I said, it's happened again and again in these cities, wherever there's a, a thriving Black district, that you don't you don't even need violence to, to destroy what mm-hmm. has been built, if you, if you have the intention to. 
So we have one more episode left and it's less than an hour long. You would hope for a two hour wrap up. I really had wanted a two hour wrap up. Yeah. And we didn't even go back to Chicago. This episode ends still like they got the book and they haven't even cured D yet. Right. So I guess my questions for coming up are, does Hippolyta's having gone to the future and is all of her, is all of her wisdom and learning, like, is that going to allow her to do the spell work she needs? I mean, I don't think that they're going to want to bring in Christina on this because even though it would be helpful to get some of. I think they don't, they know that they don't want to let her know that they've got the book. Right. And yeah, and you're right. It was Hippolyta's idea too that they need the book to fix the spells. Yeah, so I'm hoping that Hippolyta can solve it. And I also hope that she, if she has any time, energy, or fucks left to give, that she might also figure out a way to save Tick. So here's another question that I had, and I wonder if we'll figure it out at all next episode. Does Hippolyta know? about like, was this a secret between george and dora and montrose or does she know that tick might be her like, stepson i guess for lack of a better i don't know and i wonder how she'd feel if she thought you know something of george remained because he is i mean he doesn't have a mother he's barely had a father when george first died she like kicked him out because he reminded her too much of george Right. Is there some way that they also, like, I know that this won't wrap up everything, but I would also like to see, you know, Hippolyta and Dee and Tick form some sort of supportive family. They don't all have to be living together, but Dee needs family in her life after all of her loss and after everything she's going through. So maybe, you know, I have this little fantasy where Tick and Letty can just live down the block and Dee can be an auntie to her little, little nephew. So I ha- that's like my little hopeful thing where she like raises this baby reading sci-fi and learning stuff and he grows up to become this author. We are definitely not going to get into all of that. But no. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more wrapped up than we think is possible because we've definitely seen some action-packed episodes. Yeah, I am always surprised by how much they get into the episode. Or I'm surprised by how little other people get into their episodes. Like, gosh... I'm I'm just like holding everybody to a higher standard now. I'm interested to see what kind of resolutions we come to, but I'm also interested to see what kind of threads they might leave open for potential future. Mm-hmm. It's time to go. I will see you next week when everything will happen. Everything will happen and nobody and nobody is allowed to die. hope that dora understood you know she became an adult right like we all look back on stupid fights and stuff Mm. the last thing i told my brother was to call mom well did he no jackass (laughs) i know
It's the least you can do before you fucking die. Call your mother. <laughs> yeah. You can put that in after the credits. I'm fine with that. <laughs>